0: Man, I am happy to see you guys in church today. How many of you had power at your house today? How many of you did not have power for at least a little while this morning? Can I just take a look and see if you still look pretty as you normally? Yeah, it looks the same, so that's good. Good job. Um, let's, uh, let's get into the word really quickly, but um, the sermons the last few weeks, I think have been a little too easy for us, and so who's up for some brain stretching today? Just a little? Oh, come on, don't be that way. School is starting, man. Your kids are gonna have to stretch their brains, you're gonna have to stretch your brains. Today we're gonna look at some etymology, philosophy, sociology, theology, and we're gonna actually do a little chemistry demonstration at the end. But first, we're gonna have our weekly Kingdom Paradigm Bible Recap, okay? If you want the 10-minute version, go back and watch the sermon from two weeks ago. If you want the five-minute version, go back and watch last week's sermon, and now I'm going to give you the whole Bible in a minute and a half-ish. Okay, so uh, the original plan that God had in Eden, we know that the word Eden means paradise or delight, and that God's original plan was this, that God's space and man's space would be one space, and that God would provide everything that we needed. He would provide beauty, air, food, water, purpose, relationships, and a definition of what was good, and what was evil, and he gave man a choice. He could either stay in God's space and accept God's version of good and evil and accept God's provision of everything that he needed or he could try to choose that stuff for himself and he could separate and that's what he chose. Man chose to decide for himself what was good and evil. He decided to decide for himself what his purpose would be. He decided for himself to provide everything that he thought he would need, beauty, creativity, purpose, relationship, and the rest of the Bible is basically God putting together this plan to bring God's space and man's space back together. And he said that he would do that through a Messiah, a better kind of human, somebody that could show us what it is to be, for the first time, truly human. And we learn the word for humanity, and that word is, in Hebrew? Adam or Adam and so this Messiah was going to bring a new humanity. He was going to show us how to be better human so that we could operate in this new kingdom that God was bringing which was his space and our space together in one space and that Messiah was Jesus and so he came and he began this work of bringing God's kingdom and announcing God's kingdom and changing us and bringing in this new humanity, then he ascended to the Father, and he left us as his body to continue his work of bringing his kingdom here. Time. That's it, right? In Revelation 21, we see how it all came together, it's like the epilogue, right? We see John looking into the future, and and in the future he sees the epilogue of how it all ends up, which is Jesus comes back and fully brings God's kingdom here, and we're back to God's space and man space being one space, and God is truly, read Revelation 21, God is truly with his people. He makes all things new. He makes all wrongs right. He dries every tear. That's the whole story of the Bible in a couple of minutes. So now we're all on the same page. We're gonna stretch our brain a little bit. You guys had coffee? Okay, so um, we're gonna start um, really easily. What is the Hebrew word for humanity? Adam, very good. Uh, and here's the next quiz for you. Linguistically speaking, philosophically speaking, what is this? Say again. You're, you're taking the easy way out. Any any other thoughts? It's a paradox. It's a, it's, it's, it's We've 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 been we've been talking about paradoxes, right? We've been talking about these weird dualities, right? These weird like dichotomies in the Bible, these these mysteries. And so let's talk about a paradox just just for a second. Um, We know uh, it's etymology time. So what is etymology? It's a study of word origins, right? So where did this word paradox come from? Uh, It's Greek. Um, The word para, which means like contrary. And then the word doxa, which means opinion. So a paradox literally means opposing ideas. Opposing ideas. And so I'll give you a, a definition. This is a really good one, a simple one. There's a lot of definitions. This is a simple one from Oxford Dictionary. It says a paradox is a statement or situation that may be true, but it seems impossible or difficult to understand, why? Because it contains two opposing facts or characteristics or ideas. So let me give you an example of a paradox. It's hard to understand because it includes two like opposing truths. It seems like they're mutually exclusive. So let's put our statement up, Matt. Here's a statement that I think is a paradox. This statement is a lie, and can you see why this is a paradox? Because if that statement is true, then it must be a lie. And if that statement is a lie, then it must be true. Wait, what, right, that's, it's, it's, it's a paradox. It's difficult to understand, and there's all kinds of paradoxes. They're hard to understand why, because they include two truths that seem to be diametrically opposed. They seem to be mutually, exclusive, and so there's all kinds of paradoxes, and you've seen them. In literature, there's literary paradoxes. Um, Hamlet said, I must be cruel to be kind. That's a paradox, it's two opposing ideas that are true at the same time. Now in literature there is value in a paradox, and the value of a paradox in literature is it helps us understand the character, it helps us understand the storyline, it helps us understand the setting. There's all kinds of paradoxes in real life, and I think they have value too, because I think paradoxes in real life kind of like help us test our reasoning or test our understanding of truth. And so here's a great example. Um, If you, uh, in the morning, make yourself a piece of toast, and you put butter on the toast, and oh no, you accidentally drop the toast, and it tumbles to the floor, which side lands down? The butter side. side. 100% of the time, it's science. That's just what happens, 100%. Can we all agree that that's that's provably true? Provably true, right? Okay, we also know that if you take a cat and fling it in the air, how does it land? It lands on its feet, every time, right? Scientifically, provably true. So here's the paradox, what would happen if you took a cat? (laughs) And you put a piece of toast on its back? Staple it on there, butter, butter side up. And now you fling it in the air. How does it, how, how, what happens? I don't know. It's a paradox, right? And the only thing I know to do is test it and find out. So bring out the cat. <laughs> we have enough experiments today. We're not gonna do the cat today. Um, what else? There are philosophical or ethical paradoxes. Oh, here's a, here's a good one. Would you agree with me that, it is, that murder is always wrong? Yeah, murder is always wrong. But if you could go back in time to 1920 and you could murder Hitler, would that be, would that, would that be wrong? It's difficult, huh? Because it's, it's, what, it's what it says. It contains two opposing facts or characteristics. Are we all clear on what a paradox is? It's something that's difficult to understand because it seems like it's true, but it seems like it's two different things that can't both be true. With me? Okay, so we're gonna talk a lot about paradoxes today. There are a lot of paradoxes in the Bible, and one of the hardest paradoxes, one of the most, I think, brain-wrecking things to consider is the Trinity, right? God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you agree? And Deuteronomy 6, 5 tells us that the Lord your God is one. Are they both true? Are they diametrically opposed, yes. right? Do you want to see in the Bible the first, because you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of Trinity is throughout the Bible, all the way to Revelation, all the way through the Bible. You want to see the first place that it shows up, the idea shows up, look in your Bible. It says Genesis 1, I think I'm, I know you guys think I'm addicted to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1, let's see if we can see the Trinity, okay? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. So now we've seen God, Father. We've seen God the Spirit. Then God said, let there be light. God spoke a word and created everything. John 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. And everything that was created was created through Him. Who is Him? Who is the Word? Jesus. So you see what we have there? We have the Father we have the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus, the Son, all, and it's, it's three, it's three, it's obviously three, it's obviously three, and yet, he's one. And that's, that's hard for me. And maybe it's hard for you to like, like wrap my head around that whole idea, and I see, you know, these paradoxes are supposed to have some value, right? So in literature, they have value, and these common sense things, they have value, and these moral things, they have value, but what is the value of a biblical paradox? Like, what? why doesn't God just make it easy, right? Why, why, why does God put stuff in the Bible, he loves me, right? He knows my limitations, intellectually or whatever, so why does God put stuff in the Bible that he knows that I can't understand? What is the value of a biblical paradox? And I think at least one of the values is that the Bible is meant to be meditation literature the Bible is not designed to be skimmed through once over, like reading a magazine article or a news clipping or something. It's intended for a lifetime of reading and reflection and rereading and pondering and rereading and discussion and rereading. Look at Joshua 1.8. What does it say? I want to study this thing continually, continually. I'm going to meditate on it day day. And night. So apparently God sees value in the actual process of digging the truth out of his word. And I think that might be part of the reason that he leaves these gaps and these unanswered questions and this stuff that's hard to get in the Bible. Maybe the process of, of, of pondering and discussing these, these gaps and trying to understand these paradoxes, maybe the struggle itself has value. Maybe there's a point to that. Maybe we're supposed to learn something about God or learn something about ourselves or learn something about our purpose through the process of reading and pondering and rereading and reflecting and rereading and discussing this stuff. He might even want us to learn something or understand something or do something that we didn't even know that we were supposed to be learning or understanding are doing and that's cool when you really dig into a paradox and you're really trying to understand something in the Bible and even if you can't like understand what you were seeking to understand, all of a sudden you, you learn something about Jesus or you have like a new experience with him and so I guess I'm encouraging you today to dig into stuff. When the questions are hard in the Bible, that's a good thing. When you can't quite understand how it fits together, that's a good thing. Read it again. Think about it, pray about it, talk to somebody else about it, get some different opinions on it. It's it's a good thing because I think we can really learn something about who God is and who we are and what he wants us to do as we just dig in and do kind of the work. So here's an example of this. Um, uh, This is like how I try to dig into one paradox. I try to understand something and God reveals something to me about his character or who he is. Um, This thing with the Trinity, man, it's just, it's wearing me out. Jesus said, I, and the Father are one. Well, I mean, (laughs) which one? And how does that work? And we've tried, right? We've tried to say, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like an egg. It's the shell, the white, and the yolk, right? It's kind of like water, right? It's water, it's ice, and it's steam all at the same time and all that stuff. And those are, I mean, we're trying. We're trying to understand it. But do you know what God is really like? Nothing. Nothing is like him. So it's hard for us to understand this thing. I'm trying to get this idea of three and one, but even if I can't fully grasp it, as I'm digging into it, God is revealing some stuff about like, who He is in that struggle. Because as I try to understand this paradox of three and one, I see something really important about God. I see that God loves the coming together and the community of distinct things. Can you sit on that just for a second and think about that? God, think about the Bible, right, the whole thing. God loves the coming together and the community of distinct things. And the more I've thought about that, the more I see that that is a prevailing theme in the Bible. If you think about the creation story in Genesis 1:3, it said he separated the light from the darkness. He separated them, he called them apart. He called them to be distinct things, the light from the darkness, but then he brings them back together to define day and night. Our whole dimension of time starts with light and darkness, being distinct, and yet being called to work together. In Genesis 1:6, he separates the waters above from the waters below. He separates those things. He calls them to be separate and distinct and, and, and unique things. But then he brings them together in this cycle. Of precipitation and evaporation, and that's what makes it that sustains the whole world. It just, it's just throughout the Bible. He separated his people, right? The Jews. He separated, there, here's all of humanity. He separated out his people. He called them to be separate. He called them to be holy. That's what the word means. It means different, it means separate, it means unique. He called them to be separate from the Gentiles, from the rest of the world. And then through Jesus, what did he do? He put them back together. God loves the coming together of unique and distinct things. And and the more I think about that, it's like, it makes me think about, it it like piques my curiosity to further understand this idea of God creating man as a separate, distinct being from himself. But then he wants us to come together. He wants to live in us and he wants to rule his world with us and through us. God seems to just love this, I, this, this coming together, this community of distinct things. And this, this affects everything I mean, my world. This, this understanding impacts my view of gender and marriage. Right? God made man and woman, both in his image, both in his image, but he, he, he called them to be completely distinct different things. And then through marriage, he brings them together. God loves the coming together. He loves the community of distinct things. It makes me think a lot about racism. Can you imagine how God must hate racism? Because clearly what he loves is the community of diversity, right? Clearly what he loves is the coming together and the community of separate, different, distinct things. And so all of these fun, amazing, worldview-changing ideas, all of these conversations come up just from me trying to wrap my head around this paradox that God is three in one. How you guys doing? My brain's a little tired. Is your brain tired? We'll take a a brain break? You okay? Um, You know what's awesome? Marshmallows. Marshmallows are awesome. How many prefer the little ones, miniatures, how many, golly, very few. How many prefer the big jet puffed? Okay, right. And you know, they have even the like giant ones that are supposed to be for s'mores, but have you tasted those? They're not, they're not as good and I don't know why. And so, I mean, I like s'mores, but I, I'm okay without the s'mores. I'm okay with just the marshmallow, just the cooked marshmallow so good. In fact, when I was a kid, my mom for breakfast used to make me marshmallow toast. And you wonder why I have health problems in my old age. So she would take a piece of bread and put crunchy peanut butter, because that's the kind Jesus likes, on the bread, right? And then she covers it up with marshmallows, puts it in the oven for a minute, gets it all crispy and warm. And I'm telling you, man, it is pretty good stuff right there. Pretty, pretty, so yeah, man, marshmallows are awesome. So, okay, let's get to the sermon. Uh, I think the message for today God has shown me a pretty simple and pretty important truth. And he showed it to me while I was struggling with a couple of these kingdom paradoxes that we've been talking about. Things in the kingdom that are hard to understand because they contain two opposing facts or ideas or characteristics. Like this this paradox that the kingdom is here and it's coming. It's here, and it's, it's already. Man, it's not yet. It's, how, how can both of those things be true? And yet we see in Luke 17, 20, the Pharisees ask Jesus, when is the kingdom gonna come? And look what he says at the end of 21. He says, the kingdom of God is already among you. He said that 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God is already among you. Luke 9, 27, he says, I'm telling you the truth. He's talking to a group of people. Some people standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. It was already here. It was already here. And I'm pretty sure all those guys are dead, right? So that means God's kingdom was already here. And yet in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come. And in Mark 11:10, 10, he says, blessings on the coming kingdom So the kingdom is here, and it's coming. How can both of those things be true? It's it's a paradox. It's difficult to understand. Because it's two ideas that seem like they oppose one another. Here's another one. Um, Where is this all gonna happen? The kingdom of God we keep talking about. Every tear is dry, every heart is fixed, every problem is undone. Where, Where does that go on? It's on the earth. It's on, it's, it's, it's on the earth, but it's on an earth that is the same, it's this one, and different. So look at this verse, this is Revelation eleven 15, the seventh angel blows his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, and this, this is what they said, the world, the earth, our space, right, our, what's here, what's down here, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever so it's the same world obviously right you agree you agree or not it's the same world okay then look at Revelation 21 1 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone so it's a different world it's the same earth but it's a different earth how can both of those things be true these are paradoxes of the kingdom, that it's here, and it's coming, and then it's happening on an earth that is the same, and it's different. And those are just paradoxes about the kingdom, and we've got, listen, the same paradoxes about us, and specifically about our righteousness, our our becoming like Jesus. Remember, he was gonna create a new humanity that was like him, that was empowered by the same spirit that empowered him so that we could stand up better than Adam did in the garden when sin comes and temptation comes and the snake comes. He was gonna create this new, this new humanity that was fit for heaven, like the old song says, right? And so, like, what about our righteousness? Like, when does that happen? Well, apparently, it's also like the kingdom. It's here and it's coming. It's here and it's coming. Romans 10:13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. So that's, that's justification, right? The minute, the minute you say, Jesus, I believe in you, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Remember the thief on the cross, how long did it take? He said, remember me, right? That's it, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You see that, it's the kingdom, paradise, it's Eden, right? It's you will be with me in God's coming kingdom. So, Everyone who calls on the name of the the Lord is immediately imputed with the righteousness of Jesus, right? When God looked at that thief on the cross, right after Jesus spoke to him, that's it. He's just like Jesus. He saw him as righteous and good and pure and holy and worthy to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. You see that? You see that? Okay, so at the moment we accept Jesus and call on him, we are fully righteous. Yeah? Amen. And yet we still sin. Thank God for sanctification, right? And that's the one, Philippians 1, 6, remember this verse where Paul said, I'm sure that God, who's the one that started this work in you, will finish the work that he began in you until it's finally completed on the day that Jesus comes back. So, I mean, we are righteous and we're becoming, we're fully righteous, fully righteous, and yet we're becoming righteous. Righteous. So how can both of those things be true? It's like we're there and we're going there. Right? Try that on a trip with your kids. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? When your kids are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're just thinking, man, I just scratching. Uh I <laughs> you're just, you're just, are we there yet? When they do that, just pull the car over and turn back to them in a really calm voice. Just tell them, you know what? We are there. And we're getting there. <laughs> so suck on that for six hours, right? It's our righteousness, our Christ-likeness, right? Our worthiness of being citizens of the kingdom is here and it's coming. And also just like the kingdom, just like the earth. It's, we're the same and we're different, right? Our bodies, they're What are we gonna look like in it? We're gonna get wings, right? That's just in the movies. Are we gonna get wings? We're the same and we're different. So us old people love to talk about the scripture that talks about our glorified bodies, right? The glorified bodies that we're gonna get, but we don't have them yet, right? I hope, right? I pray, please, Jesus, this can't be it, right? I mean, Margaret said amen just now, what? This, 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 my body, this cannot be the glorified version, right? It's it's the same and it's different. It's the same body, right? And yet it's different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has already become a new creature, a new person. Old life's over. New life has already begun. So are we? We are a new creation or we're, we're, we're becoming a new creation, or we're gonna get recreated? Yes. Thank you. That's the answer, right? It's a, it's a paradox, man. Are we the same, or are we different? And you know, the model we have of this glorified body business is Jesus, right? When Jesus, he's, he's the only one we've seen on the other side of death, right? And so Jesus, he, he, after he came out of the grave, he came in the same, the same body, right? He was just in there. He walked out. People recognized him. Right? He even still had the holes in his hands. Right? So it was the same body, and yet that same body is walking through walls. And that same body was unrecognizable to some of his very best friends. He was the same, and he was different. So, like the world, like the kingdom, how can our righteousness be here and coming? And how can we be both at, at, at the same time the same and different. And I think this is, that's just really worth some reading and some reflecting and some rereading and some pondering and some rereading and some discussion. And so as I've been doing that, as I've been reading and pondering and discussing and, and thinking about this and praying about this, I'm just gonna tell you, I, I have not solved those paradoxes, but as so often happens, I see something really cool as I'm looking at them. You know, I see something really cool in, in, in how those paradoxes of the kingdom and these paradoxes of us work together. So that's the introduction to the sermon. You guys ready for the sermon? Okay, here it is. So it's Matthew, this is gonna be Romans eight twenty. And think of what we're talking about. The curse came with God. Everything got broken apart. God's space got separated from man's space. right? Everything was a mess, right? And that's kind of the way it's been ever since, right? Okay, here's what it says, 820. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So when Adam chose separation from God, he didn't just bring a curse on humanity. Right, he brought a curse on the whole world. Why, because now man was in charge, right? And so <laughs> we were in charge of man's space. So I look around, right, we, we trashed it. We, now there's war and now there's death and pollution and waste and they, the Bible calls it death and decay. But God's promise is that someday through Jesus he will bring his space back to our space and his perfection back to our brokenness. And that is the kingdom of God. And the world's been waiting for that for thousands of years. And then it says that all creation will join us in glorious freedom. All creation is is miserable. Oh, why why are we under this curse? Why do we have to be like this? Why do we have to be so broken? But it says someday, creation will join us in freedom. Because we used to be under that same curse of being separated from God and being broken ourselves but now God has made us new, kinda, right? Because we're, we're the same and we're different. But the world is just the same. The world is only broken. Look at verse 22. We all know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time it's been going through this i mean look around us this is it this is the pains of childbirth right this misery and stress and strife and pain of this world verse 23 and we believers also groan so we're new well how come we're groaning right look what it says we have the holy spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory so we're we're different but we're also the same because look what it says, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. So we have, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of what it's gonna be like to be completely like Jesus, but our, our bodies are still trapped, right? Our, our, our thoughts and our words and our actions are still like in prison to sin and suffering. So this, this is it, our righteousness is here and it's coming. His Spirit has made us completely righteous but our minds and our bodies are still stuck in sin and suffering, and so what happens? It says, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including those new bodies that he's promised us. So it'll be us, but it'll be new bodies. We'll be the same, but we'll be different. New and improved. improved. So as we wait for that process to happen, And as he continues his work in us, as his body, we continue his work in the world. Yeah? So do you remember what that work was? We're we're his body now. We're continuing the work that he was doing. So it starts with evangelism, right? That's spreading the good news, spreading the gospel about Jesus bringing his kingdom here. Mark 16, 15, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone, right? First thing is evangelism. That's continuing the work of Jesus. We're telling people about the, the kingdom. That's what Jesus was doing. The second one is discipleship. Now discipleship isn't telling people or announcing the good news about God's kingdom. It's teaching people and showing people how to live in that kingdom, right? And, and how to honor that king. Matthew 28, 19, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There that is again. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. So God's, Jesus' kingdom work that we're continuing is evangelism and discipleship and then what I'm calling passing out samples. Um, So when Jesus was going around, we're continuing his work, right? When Jesus was here and he was going around healing people and freeing people and raising the dead and casting out demons, do you see what he was doing? He was undoing the results of man being in charge of the world, which brought sickness and death and demonic activity. And he was... He was giving samples of what God's kingdom will someday be like, where everyone will be healed and there will be no demons. You see that? He was passing out samples of God's kingdom. And as his body, we continue that work. So here's your scriptural reference to this. This isn't just for us. This goes all the way back. So this is Luke 9, 1. One day Jesus called together. So he's been going, listen, he's full of the spirit. He's God and man together. Right? Jesus is the kingdom, right? He's God's space and man's space as one space. You see that? Okay, so he's going around, he's passing out samples. He's giving healing, he's giving forgiveness, he's giving unity and freedom and peace and beauty. All the things that are gonna be in God's kingdom, he's giving out these little samples of that to people. Okay, now look what happens in Luke 1. One day Jesus called his, his disciples together and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and heal diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everybody about the kingdom of God, and to, like, as an illustration almost, right? As an audio-visual aid, right? Tell everybody about the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So now look at Luke 10, 9, just a couple of, just inches down the page, he gives them their instructions. Heal the sick, and when you do, tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. You See what he's saying? This is it. This is what it looks like. You're healed? That's, that's what the kingdom of God is like. You see that? This was this, the healing, the, the casting out of demons, the raising people from the dead, the blind people seeing and deaf people hearing. This, this was a tease. This was a preview. This was a sample of God's coming kingdom. And when we bring freedom and healing and light and life and peace and joy and unity and righteousness into this world, that's us continuing his work of passing out kingdom samples. So evangelism, discipleship, this passing out kingdom samples, this is the work of Jesus that we're continuing. And the last one is just working towards unity. So the other thing that Jesus did was to unify. And the huge theme in the New Testament is God doing what he loves doing. It's bringing distinct, unique things together. That's why Galatians 3.28, he says, you know what, there is no more Jew or Gentile. There is no more male or female. There is no more slave or free because you're all one in Christ Jesus. Almost all of the instructions in the New Testament letters are in second person plural. He he doesn't say you. He says (laughs) y'all. Greek Texan right there, right? (laughs) Uh, That's what it is. Paul almost never says you should or you should or you shouldn't. He always says y'all should, right? Because he sees us as one. He sees us as united. That's why he wrote this, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He said, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part part of it. it. Do you know there are about 90 references in the New Testament to us working towards unity? Um, Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. So here's my great like, epiphany or whatever. God is, God is doing this work in us to grow us more like Jesus and to unite us as his body. Meanwhile, he's doing this work in the world through us. The, the, the unified body of Christ as we evangelize and disciple and pass out these, these samples and work towards unity. So it's two things happening at the same time, right? So when is this kingdom fully come? When Jesus comes back, Revelation 21, man, that's, that's the dry and tears, making all things new, making all wrongs right. That happens on the day that Jesus comes back. When are we fully mature and grown and like Jesus and fully united? When? The day Jesus comes back, that Philippians 1.6 says, he will continue this work until he finally finishes on the day Christ Jesus returns. So the world is changed as we're changed because he's changing the world through us. You get that? You get that? Go like this. It keeps me moving. You get that? Okay. So, who's up for a demonstration? Okay. I will need a volunteer. Somebody. Okay. Okay. Come on. Come on. Just yeah. Just <laughs> He's got a lunch date. Come on. You got to come up. Can you get up? Okay, let's get our pair of ducks out. You can clap for him. Tell us your name. Jimmy. Okay, Jimmy. um, Well, let's do this right if we're going to do it. Um, You're going to need to put the eye protection on. And you just put on the lab coat. The lab coat? Yeah. Make it official. Put mine on. We're going to do chemistry. We're going to do it right. And let me just set this out here, where we'll remember where it is, I'm setting on fire, buddy. in case things get weird. OK, Jimmy, you're going to stand on this side. Okay. I'm going to need you to button up your, your jacket. It's all a part of the process. OK, so the world has changed as we're changed, right? Because he's changing the world through us. So here's what's going to be represented by this thing right here. <laughs> so this bowl is going to represent the world as we see it right now. You guys can see it okay? And it's, it's, it's broken and it's full of sin and unrighteousness and hate and death. And now Jimmy, much like Jesus, is going to take this red stuff, which represents us, and he's going to... When I say go, he's gonna start dropping some little drops, little squirts of this. And what this is representing is us. Each of one of these red things is gonna be us. We're full of the Holy Spirit. So you see, we, we become like Jesus. We become like pockets of the Holy Spirit. We become like pockets of this coming kingdom. So we just give us like a little dot, 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 and just kind of spread them around. I want you guys give to them, give them pretty good squirts. Some of us are pretty big. There you go, okay, that's good. Okay, that's good, just stop right there. So do you see what's happening there? Each, each, one, of these, each one of these little pockets is growing. Do you see that they're growing? And that, that represents it as, as, give us a few more drops. As he's more and more people are getting saved and as he's doing that, more and more of us are growing more and more like Jesus. But do you also see that we're growing together? You see that we're growing together. Okay, that's good. And as we're doing that, look what's, happening. You, you went crazy with the die and you see, And see what's happening there? It's like all of those little samples that all of us are passing out of peace and freedom and healing and love and joy and mercy, all of these little samples that we're passing out are slowly infecting, like they're viral, right? They're infecting the whole world until the whole world is contaminated with his love and with his goodness and with his kindness and with his grace and with his mercy, but we will never completely, you can see, we'll never completely get there until the day that Jesus comes back and completes the work, you're Jesus now, just give it a stir, here comes Jesus, we're almost there, stir it good now, and now look what happens, now the whole, yeah, that's, he's completing the work in us, and as we're completely mature and we're completely grown and we're completely unified, you see what we've done to the world now. He's, he's, he's completed us, we're now in complete unity, and now the world is completely rebooted and renewed and redeemed and perfect. It's paradise, it's his kingdom come, where God is fully with us and he's providing everything that we need. The Revelation 21 says God will truly be with his people. And God's space and man's space becomes one space. These these kingdom paradoxes, they're hard to understand, but digging into those really helped me see God is bringing his kingdom here in us and through us. Because as he changes us, he changes the world through us. And next week, we're gonna talk a little bit about what our role is in those changes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing promise because we look around at this world and it's so broken and it's so dark and it's so ugly and lifeless. It's so full of death and hate and sin and division. And we thank you because you've given us your vision of your kingdom come. And so we're praying for it. We're praying for your kingdom to come, but Lord, we're also stepping forward and saying may your kingdom come through us as we as your body continue your work to evangelize and tell the world the good news about you, to disciple people and show them how to be citizens of your kingdom, to hand out these samples of freedom and peace and healing and mercy and joy and to work towards unity. And thank you for showing us, God, that as we're passing these samples out, as you're making these changes in us, as you're drawing us more together, you're spreading your kingdom throughout the world. So thank you for this amazing promise of every tear dried, every wrong righted, and a place where everything is truly new. We're going back to the kingdom of Eden. Thank you for that promise. And thank you for loving us so much and trusting us so much that you're using us to bring your kingdom here. Lord, thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Amen. Jimmy, thank you. Can we give a round of applause to Jimmy? Jimmy. Great job. That's it. Thank you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.